Welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, you and I have been waiting on this opportunity to talk to Dave Pilatus. Uh, I mean, we have been following his work for a very long time. Uh, of course, you know the the first time that this you know started being something that we we heard about, it was you know Dave had some concern about the way these missing persons cases were being handled with all of our national parks and he got involved and used the skills that he'd have with his expertise to to find a, a park ranger and then he found some concerns about you know how we're going about uh, with some of the missing persons and then that's led to years of different categories of of missing persons we couldn't do 45 minutes on everything no. that he's covered uh, but today we're going to kind of focus on, on, on one category. And, and Rick, the tie-in here, when mm. we first started Rick and Bubba University, the unique podcast, yeah. the very first episode we did, we talked about missing 411, the hunted. Yes, we that did. Me and you talked about it. Yes, that was did. the whole the whole podcast because we had just watched it and we were terrified by it. So we're so glad to have Dave with us today. Dave, welcome to the Rick and Bubba University. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure being there the first time and uh, – I'm happy to be with you again. <laughs> but let me tell you, we, we, you know, we we were going, man. If we could just talk to Dave and and these four one one cases, um, you know, former police officer, now investigator. So so I think we covered. It was the na- the, the national parks that got you started down this road, right? It's correct. Uh, I was out there doing some peripheral research on another topic, and during the time I was in the park, some park rangers were following me around. At the end of the day. Went back to my room, get a knock on the door a few hours later, and it's one of those guys in plain clothes. And they said, hey, we have a story to tell you. And this guy lays out a story that they've worked at a series of national parks in their career, and there have been a series of missing people. They tried to get information out of their own park system, and they couldn't do it. And then the second ranger shows up later, and he says basically the same thing. He says there's something unusual going on. And we think somebody ought to look into it. We know your background and you should be the guy. So I drove away the next day, talked to a couple of police officers that were friends of mine. I said, hey, look into this and see if there's a lot of missing people here. They called me a few hours later and said, hey, there's something up. And at that time, this is about 12 years ago, the National Park Service didn't put hardly anything online about missing people. And still to this day, they deny that they have a list of missing people from the National Park Service. And guys, I could go into any medium, small size police department, almost anywhere in the United States. I'd walk into the chief's office and say, hey, can I have a list of all the missing people in your jurisdiction? And within an hour, they'd have it on their their desk. So the reality that the National Park Service doesn't have a list of missing people is crap. And uh, really from there, just a lot of hard, hard work because if they're not going to give you the cases because they say they don't have any lists, then you got to go out and make it yourself. And about two, three years ago, I'd written about 60 plus cases in Yosemite National Park, which has the most missing person cases that fit our profile of any place in the world. And then suddenly Yosemite comes out with a list of missing people. Mm. The only park that has come out with a list of missing people. And the reason they came out with that list because I had written about all of them already. Now, they haven't given me anything else from any other parks. Uh, they're very reluctant to give up uh, case files. Uh, it, it's a big obstruction to the entire process. And uh, when we did Missing 411, The Hunted, 
uh, we were thinking about doing cases out of Yosemite and out of other national parks, just on hikers. But the obstruction was so prevalent and so big that it was it was hard to just get a basic profile going for a documentary. Dave, so why, yeah, why do you think that's the case? Do you think it, they just consider it bad for business or a bad reflection on them? Or what, what would be their motivation or just, just not motivated to do anything? Well, in the books, I write that um, the cases that fit our profile, which is unique, has a history of FBI agents showing up and telling the investigators or sheriffs that are on scene, hey, we're not going to get involved. We're just here to monitor and write up a report. And what that really tells you is that the FBI is monitoring these cases. Now, why is that important? Because they see something in these cases that most people don't. And the FBI does not investigate missing people. They have a subsection in their jurisdictional uh, operating procedure that says that they can investigate young, young children that disappear, but they don't investigate missing people. So why are these agents showing up on scene on missing adults? And that's really the million dollar question. Now I've spoke to a couple of FBI agents that are really good friends of mine. And they said, Dave, what they're doing is they're writing up these reports, they're sending it to the profiling unit and they're putting up a massive profile, very similar, almost identical to what I've done in these books about the missing cases, because they all fit the specific profile that I write about. And I don't write about just general missing person cases. It has to fit this profile. So, so Dave, yeah, tell us about the yeah. profile a little bit. Talk a little bit about exactly what you're looking for and what apparently the right. FBI is monitoring. So first of all, you start off with vetting the cases. And when I write to a jurisdiction, a sheriff's office, and I ask for a missing person case file, I'm looking for if there's any animal predation on the case, any evidence of it. And search and rescue people look for this right away. Second thing I look for is that, is there any mental illness associated that the person threatened to commit suicide? Was the, were they suicidal? And if they were, I'd, I'd exclude the case. I'd exclude the case if there was any uh, predation involved. And then after probably reviewing a thousand cases, I had these stacks of law enforcement cases all throughout my living room because I'd noticed that certain cases had certain things that other cases didn't. Big one, like 95, 98% of all the cases I've written about, when they bring canines to the scene, the canines can't pick up a scent. That is not normal. Uh, I worked on a SWAT team and we had the canine unit, 20 dogs assigned to us. And I, I've been on hundreds of these uh, tracking cases. And in all of those cases, I cannot ever remember one where the dogs didn't track and find the person. So when canines can't find a scent, that's unusual. Number two, no tracks. They bring in professional trackers. They can't find tracks of the person from the point they were last seen. Uh, In association with the disappearance or at the start of the search and rescue, there's a change in the weather. Big one. Uh, If the person is found, they're often found in an area that had been previously searched, sometimes not once or twice, sometimes five, six, seven, eight times. Strange. And that's not an indictment of the search and rescue teams, because I don't think the people were there when they were searching. 
the victims, if they're found, they're missing clothing or shoes, oftentimes other personal items. The average time of the disappearance is at 4 p.m. Many times the victims have, say, a disability or an illness of some type. Uh, if they're found, they often have a lack of memory. They don't remember how they got lost, uh, what predated them being lost, or even how they got found. They're oftentimes found in or near water. Uh, boulders and granite play a big role in this. And that's why Yosemite comes into play. There's something I call point of separation. Uh, oftentimes, we as hunters go out in, with buddies. And after an hour walking through the woods, we say to ourselves, hey, guys, let's split up. We could probably do better alone. And let's, you know, you take that area, I'll take this area, and we'll go out. That point of separation, it's almost as though something is watching. Because right after they separate, something happens to one of them. Uh, distance travel. And when I refer to that, I talk about young kids. First movie I did, Missing 411, uh, it was about young children who disappeared. And we brought in Les Stroud, Survivor Man, to try to replicate a route that one of these kids took. And in the middle of the night, Les stopped the crew and said, hey, we're not doing this. This is crazy. We'll walk off a cliff. We'll kill ourselves. This kid did not do this alone. And we're talking about 8, 10, 12 miles that a two-year-old supposedly uh, traversed in eight hours over fences, over mountains, and it, an unreal number of, of miles. And then there's an equipment malfunction in many of these cases, airplane or helicopter crash, sometimes compasses just spin in circles. And then the last two are biggies. If the person's found and they're deceased, many, many times, the coroners cannot determine a cause of death. Now, um, when my son was playing Division I hockey, I got a call from a coroner's office, a big, big one on the East Coast. And their head coroner said, Dave, we want to meet with you. So they meet me out at the city where Ben was playing hockey and we sit in this hotel room. We ended up talking for like three or four hours. And this coroner said, Dave, you said something in your books that we've known about for years that nobody wants to even address. And that is that we're scientists. We determine the cause of death. And we can't find out the cause of death on many, many of these cases. And you hit the nail on the head. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to address it. They just want to push it aside and move on. Last one, geographical clustering. I'm big on maps. And my last two books, Missing 411 Montana and then Idaho, both those come with book, uh, maps that are about two foot by three foot that are driving maps of the state that we had done for us where we put the missing people in the map so you can see how they cluster up in certain areas. And there's 62 geographical clusters of missing people in North America. Again, that largest cluster is in Yosemite, but uh, they're all over the US with the absence right down the middle of the US, north to south from North Dakota down to Texas. There's this wide gap with almost no missing people. It's very strange. But uh, that's kind of the process for the profile points, guys. All right. We're going to come back and continue this conversation. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. And you've been researching this uh, you know, for quite a while now. There's lots of resources. You heard Dave mention the, bo the books. The new one is Missing 411 Idaho, uh, part of the state series that he's doing. You can go to the website, Kana 
canamissing.com. That's canamissing.com to find out more. We'll continue this conversation with Dave Pilatus when Rick and Bubba University, the, uh, the podcast, continues. All right, so Tommy John. Tommy John uh, has the most comfortable underwear on the planet, and if you don't agree with that, uh, then they will let you have uh, the underwear for free. So that's their guarantee. Best pair you ever wear, or, or it's free. And I got mine on now. I know, and I, and I love. It. I do too. I've got a because uh, I'm ready to have, run at yeah, any moment. Yeah, now, I mean, yeah. right now, Bubba right. and I look. Comfort means a lot when it comes to um, to underwear, and um, I, I like uh, the Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear. That's what I have on right now. You know, that has a little pouch, which makes it uh, more comfortable. Understand. Understood. And uh, and also, uh, they've got all kinds of innovations. Uh, when it comes to their underwear, the air mesh interior hammock that I talked about, moisture wicking fabric, four times the stretch of the competing brands. Uh, uh, the legs never ride up, which is so important, especially if you're shaped like you and me. Uh, Tommy John underwear comes with the non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. We love these 17 million pairs sold. Men across America love their Tommy John underwear. And I will tell you, uh, if you're looking for a great gift for the man in your life, Tommy John is a great, great idea. Get 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba. That's TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba for 20% off. The site has all the details. Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Dave Pilatus is our guest, Missing 411. Uh, he just laid out the things that they that they look for. Their profile. The profile yeah. of the cases. Uh, it, it's mind blowing. Um, do Do you have Dave a, a few? I know we were going to concentrate on the hunting today because, like you, we're big hunters, and the things you describe uh, in the the episode that we you know saw and and watched about hunting. Uh, a lot of these things were very familiar to us, and and honestly. It's mind blowing. It almost seems that the ones that you uh, featured that we talked about, these were not people that even went off very deep in the woods. Uh, I mean, it was you know the things that you would normally say. Well, that's how they got lost right there. Those things really weren't in play. Uh, so, so talk about that a little bit. So, guys, I've probably been on hundreds and hundreds of radio shows, and I got to tell you, Rick. That, that ad for Tommy John was exceptional. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Coming from you, Dave, that means a lot, buddy. Thanks. I'll, we'll send you a pair. Me up. I was sitting here thinking, holy cow, that guy's doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been at it a while, just like you. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about uh, a couple of these cases involving hunters. Okay. So uh, first of all, like I said, we have these profile points. Well, from those profile points, we had subgroups. Yeah. And the subgroups were berry pickers, mushroom pickers, sheep herders, <laughs> and hunters. Mm-hmm. And hunters were part of the group because a large number of them have gone missing under very unusual conditions. A lot of hunters are hunting family property that's been in the family for decades. And the idea that these people became lost isn't realistic. And even their family members said, this, is, this doesn't make any sense at all. And there was no mental illness, et cetera. Now, Idaho, uh, the reason I picked that state for the next book is because I've spent a lot of time driving through it and hiking in it. And it is some rough, rough country. Uh, I live in Montana. Yeah. And it's rough. But Idaho 
is equally as tough and remote. Uh, there's a couple cases that I'll tell you about that defy any logical explanation. The first one uh, is October 5th, 2018. And there was a woman who was a US Forest Service Ranger for 25 years. And uh, her name was Connie Johnson. And she was in the Moose Creek Ranger Station, which is a very remote area of Idaho. And she, she knew this, this region like you know your backyard. And when she retired, she was in really good health. She was hired by a packing company, a hunting team, to set up camps deep in the wilderness for their hunters. And this was in a place called Fog Mountain. And you can find it on, on Google. And she was sent in on horseback. They rode in for her a long ways. And her and her dog, Ace, were dropped off with the guides. And they, they laid out everything. And her job for three days was to set up the camp. And then the hunters were coming in. Well, about the second day, they got on the radio. And they were trying to reach her. And they heard something garbled. And they couldn't exactly tell what she said. But uh, they, they came in the third day. This was October 5th, 2018. And the camp was abandoned. Connie's gone, her dog Ace is gone. And they thought, well, you know, maybe she took a hike. So they continued to set up the camp. Connie doesn't show up. So they start searching. Now it's a full day in and a full day out. So they wanted to search a day before they, they called the sheriff. Well, they come out, they get the sheriff and they send a whole team in. And there's probably 30 different deputies and residents that you know, took part in this search. Now, here's the really weird part about this. In the same county, 30 miles away, on the same day that they realized Connie was missing, in Elk City, Idaho, just about 25 miles outside of Elk City, is a place called the Penman Mine. Now, all the hunters out there, Elk City got its name for a good reason. Yeah. yeah. Elk. <laughs> and it's a famous hunting area. Well, the Penman Mine was an old abandoned mine, and a TV crew from Great Britain had brought in a group of eight people to film a segment about supposedly ghosts at the mine. But then there was another story that uh, it was going to be a segment for the movie series Gold Rush. And it was, they were never given clarity as to exactly why. But here's the story that's bizarre. They get a group of locals to loan them ATVs, and one of the locals out of Elk City uh, drove them in there, and they all followed in their ATVs. They get there, they film all day, and at the end of the day, they're standing on a bluff looking down the hill, and one of the crew members takes off on a dead friggin' run into nothingness in the middle of nowhere. And one of the locals that was there said, I wouldn't have believed it unless I saw it. He ran faster than anyone I've ever seen. One of the other guys in the crew started yelling, hey, where are you going? Where are you going? And started to chase him. Nothing. So the crew turns around, gets back on their ATVs. They come down the hill. And the first house they come to is this guy uh, who's lived up there during the hunting months for 20 years. I interviewed the guy, went to his house. So David was the strangest thing ever. These crew people were absolutely 
dumbfounded. They had known this guy for years. He had worked on the series for a number of time, number of years, and they had no idea what he was doing. So this local calls the sheriff. The sheriff starts responding from Elk City, which is going to take him at least an hour. So he gets on his LTV with the ATV with a couple of other locals, make their way up this atrocious road. I have a Ford four-wheel drive, and it took me probably two hours to go five miles. It's atrocious. So anyhow, they get there, and this local tells me, Dave, it's pitch black. It's starting to snow, weather. And they're screaming for this guy, nothing. They eventually get back to the bottom of the hill, and now they've got two searches in the same county of people missing on the same day under very weird circumstances. And make a long story short, both searchers go on for five to seven days. They don't find anything. Neither person has ever found. Terrence Woods, the guy who's missing at uh, the Penman Mine, his dad hired a private investigator to go in because he was afraid that somebody killed his son and didn't believe everybody in the crew. But when the investigator came out and interviewed the local and he said, no, it happened just like that. The guy's father couldn't believe it. My son graduated from the University of Maryland, good kid. What cost way to do this? I don't know. When you say he ran into nothingness, do you mean he just started sprinting into the wilderness and it got to where their view was obstructed? Or did they say, did they say he ran and it just like he vanished? No, you said it better than me. Okay. He ran into the woods and disappeared. Okay, so he, their, their view of him got obstructed. They couldn't keep up with him. And then he just vanished. Yep. So let me let me ask you, Dave, at this point, and then we want to hear your other story. I, when when these kind of things happen, there to me, there's only three explanations, and and you tell me how you you look at these. And I know you don't draw conclusions; you're just bringing the facts. There's either a natural cause, and when I say natural, that's fall in a hole, fall in a well, um, you know, serial killer on the loose. There, it's a it's a natural, logical reason why they disappeared. The other is what I call the Bigfoot category, that there is a creature in the woods who could prey on these uh, on these humans, and we just don't know who it is, but it's in our dimension. We just don't know what it is. And then the third, and the, probably the most troubling category, which I call the UFO category, <laughs> would, would be any kind of interdimensional traveler, Alien from another solar system or another planet, uh, demonic, something that is just absolutely out of our normal physical physics world. So is that a pretty good way to look at that? It has to fall in one of those categories? You know, those are the probably the three most common ones I that I hear. Um, the first point about a serial killer um, falling into a hole. If somebody was walking along and they fell into a hole, the dogs would track right to the hole. So that's out. And they don't bring in just one dog team. There's multiple dog teams that are brought into these things. So even if one's having, a, let's say, a bad day for some reason, other dogs are going to find it. Uh, serial killer. The areas I'm in, I would probably say that 80% of the people are armed. And before I lived in Montana, I lived in Colorado, a big gun-toting state in the woods. And if there was a serial killer out there, there would be bloodshed on the trail. Right. And uh, 
The other point to that is that people tend not to understand that a body, a male body, let's say weighs 200 pounds. That's a lot of weight to be packing around. Yeah. It's not easy to lift up a 200 pound body and drag it any distance at all. And again, trackers would find this, uh, canines would pick it up. Uh, they, a lot of bring, times they bring in cadaver dogs. So even if you bury somebody five, six feet in the ground, a cadaver dog is gonna hit on that. Even if you put a, a body in the water and you weighed it down, there's specially trained dogs that smell that under the water. There's minute sized bubbles that come up that you won't see, but the dog can smell it. So getting rid of a body is not an easy thing. So I would discount those two right away. Now let's talk about Terrence Woods, the guy who ran into the woods. Bigfoot, no. Now let's talk about Connie Johnson, disappeared in the woods. Now Connie had her dog, dog's name was Ace, been with her for a lifetime. The strange part of the story is Connie disappears. 10 days later, Ace shows up 14 miles away at the ranger station she worked at for 25 years. And she, the dog walked up to a pilot that was getting their plane ready to leave and the pilot recognized the dog. Now what we needed there was the dog was, yes. but he wasn't around. And they brought the dog back to the camp in the hopes that it would lead him to Connie and the dog didn't do it. But yeah, I, I don't mean to discount totally what you guys are saying, but I will, will say that I did a show called Vanished and it's on uh, Amazon. You can watch it for a couple of bucks. It was, it was a production by Prometheus, the same people that do uh, Oak Island and uh, Ancient Aliens. And it was a two hour special about my work. And at one point they flew me to Wisconsin and I met with a physicist uh, theoretical physicist. And the conversation off camera was as interesting as it was on camera. And he said that, Dave, there are people studying portals, physicists around the world studying portals right now, seeing if they can arm them. What they meant by that was the ability to point the portal at somebody and make them disappear. Well, off camera, because Prometheus didn't want this on camera, I asked him, I said, well, a lot of my cases the hunters or the family say, hey, my son was right next to me when he disappeared. I turned around and they were gone. I said, those things happen a lot. And he says, Dave, that's my point. It's almost as though something is arming the portals and we're trying to understand how to do that. And there's, there's physicists for different governmental organizations all over the world that are, doing, are trying to do this. This guy's name was Dr. John Brandenburg who is a consultant for NASA. We'll come back more with Dave Pilatus when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, so it's an odd time to talk about life insurance, but, yeah, but, oh, but, but I mean, here it, it is. is. Uh, I want to introduce you to Ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R. It's 100% digital. You, you won't need doctors. You won't need needles, paperwork. If you're going to apply for $3 million in coverage or less, it's going to be, I mean, this is going to be smooth sailing. You just need a few minutes. Uh, you need a phone. You need a laptop or something like that to apply. Uh, now, ladder smart algorithms work in real time, so you find out, boom, instantly if you're approved. It's just simple. The bottom line is this. I, I want to know if, if I pass before my family, uh, 
they're going to receive the, the amount of money that I have uh, insured myself for. Uh, I don't need the, all this other weird straight stuff and wherever and this, whatever. Uh, I want to know that when I, I die that my family gets this. Well, that's why you need ladder. If, again, if it's $3 million or less, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork, 100% digital. And there's no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. You can get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. If you prefer to talk to a person, that's fine. they got a team of licensed agents. That, that They don't work on commission. They'll help you. They're not going to try to upsell you to something else. Uh, the policies are issued by the insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus uh, by AM Best. So if, if if you want life insurance for your family, because you know the cost is going to go up the more you age, now's the time to get this done. And this is simple. Go to Ladder, ladderlife.com slash Rick Bubba. Do that again. Find out if you're instantly approved. L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash Rick Bubba. Dave Pilatus is our guest. Missing 411. When uh, when we were going there for a minute to talk about some of our sponsors, uh, I'm pretty sure we were just talking about weaponizing portals. Yes, I, yes, I, we I, were. I think, that was the term. I, I think that just happened. Yes, but I mean, you get down to it, Dave. When these people, I'm not exaggerating. Well, we're wanting to. We don't want to take anything off the table. No, you Rick. can't if because you, they're you vanishing. Gotta look, you got to look at Into A thin to Z. Air. And, you know, there's a lot of different avenues here. So, Dave, do you, do you have another case you want to talk about? And, and we'll we'll kind of see how that one pans out, too. Absolutely. So, guys, I have a uh, YouTube site of about 340,000 followers called Can Am Missing. And on that site, I get hundreds of emails and notes and posts a day about this kind of stuff. So I've, I've probably heard everything under the rainbow. And what you guys are talking about are things that everyone talks about in their local coffee shop, but they're afraid to talk about it at a public setting. Right. And uh, I suppose that if I was a family member of someone who was gone missing, I wouldn't want this talk going around with search and rescue. And so in general, when I'm, when I'm counseled about cases, I never bring this stuff up. Uh, we, we talk straight search and rescue, straight protocol, um, because 99.99% of all the cases out there don't fall into this criteria that we're talking about today. Right. People do go missing. And one thing I want to tell your audience, specifically hunters, is uh, put down the testosterone mix and please go out and purchase a personal locator beacon. Uh, I, I am amazed how many people do not know what this device is. It's about the size of your cell phone. And when you activate it, it sends a message up to a satellite. Satellite sends it to the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. They can see where you're at within 10 feet. They sent search and rescue to go get you. It would save search and rescue hundreds of man hours by using one of these if you're hurt or injured. And, I, you know, Possibly 95% of my cases would be solved if people just used one of these. So I don't want to get on my bandwagon, but in every interview I do, I push that people please get one, especially hunters that go off trail. And, and they're inexpensive. I mean, you can get them at, at you know, your, your hunting retailers. I, I had one for many, many years I used, and you could even program in, you know, some people to check in with if you wanted to. It, it was really a high-tech device that uh, was not that expensive, Dave, right? 
Yeah, I, 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 considering how much a, a good rifle costs and all the guns and you know coats you wear, it's it's an easy easy life insurance policy. Um, yeah. So the next case involves a man named Ron Gray from Massachusetts. Disappeared September nineteenth, two thousand and eight. He was sixty two years old, and in a strange set of circumstances, this was in the shadow of where Connie Johnson disappeared, of Fog Mountain just a little bit, a few miles southeast of Fog Mountain. Uh, Ron was a Massachusetts state trooper for 26 years, Vietnam vet, U.S. Marine, trained to live off the land. He had been an elk and deer hunter for a lot of his life and, and hunted this exact area before. And he was with a, a guide outfitter. They had cached supplies at different locations around where he was hunting. He was carrying a GPS device and he had checked in, said he was gonna be out on September 23rd. He never made it out. So the guide went out, got the sheriff, same sheriff, looked five, eight days. And in fact, a series of state patrolmen from Massachusetts made the drive out there to look for their buddy. And uh, 50 searchers, helicopters, canines, they were baffled because Ron had a slight knee injury, but it didn't hold him back from hunting. Uh, he liked to hunt alone and he never was going out with a partner, but this, is a, this was a big area for them to undertake to look for him. Well, the thing is, is that there's hundreds and hundreds of searchers since 2008 that have covered this land and nothing's ever been found. Now, over that period of time, bears, et cetera, would cause predation on the body. And yeah, the body would get torn up and the bones would be moved around. A couple things though, that I've learned since I started doing this research, that rifle's never gonna move. Mm -hmm. And those boots of his, the, the boots that we use that have those rubber soles, essentially are gonna last forever. So when you find something like that, when you're a hunter in the woods, pay attention to it because that's not normal to be found out there. You may be finding a body or remnants of a body that have been there for decades and decades. But in Ron's case, he's never been found. But that's pretty much the norm in this specific area. Now, is this the only area in Idaho where hunters haven't been found? No, I wrote about 70 cases in, uh, in just Idaho. And then I wrote an entire book about missing hunters called Missing 411 Hunters. And I wrote it for hunters. And the reality was, the funny thing, a lot of hunters don't want to read it because it scares them. Yeah, that um, you're talking to two of them. Uh, we, now, now, Dave, what we used to do the opening day before gun season, we would try to watch movies to scare us. So we would be terrified when we go out. And uh, well, I'm just glad we didn't find yours when we were doing that. You know, <laughs> well, you know, we did. We talked about uh, you know your your series, the one on hunting. That was the very first podcast that we did. And then they got to talking about it on this hunting trip that we went on with with Cuz Strickland. And, uh, and I will tell you that, you know, if you're going to read this stuff, it's important because there's things you need to like to think about, try to have, uh, you know, a beacon on you. There's things to learn. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would advise that you pick your time uh, when you're going to read uh, the book on hunting <laughs> yeah. or, or, or watch, uh, you know, the special on it. All right, we'll come back. We'll finish up with Dave Pilatus when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. Talking with Dave Pilatus, uh, Missing 411, the new book, uh, and we talked about that here on this podcast, uh, features the state of Idaho. 
in some of these cases. Um, Dave, I'm, I'm going to ask you, and, and if you say I'm not going to answer that question, I just would rather not, that's fine. Do you have any of your personal, and that's all they are, your personal ideas on some of these people that have vanished? Do you, do you think that there's a possibility, and I'll, I'll narrow it down to just two categories. Do you think this is something that just happened naturally and because of the circumstances they have not, their bodies have not been able to be retrieved? Are, are you open to the fact that something supernatural might be happening? So let me ask you guys a question. What does Cuz think is going on? He's pretty well versed in this. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, uh, yeah. A, at least in our discussions, I think he has just kind of drawn a blank on a lot of it and, and just doesn't know. Uh, like a lot of us, we go, well, we just don't know. But, I, you know, I, I'd like to, to just get, like Rick said, we don't want you to, to commit in an no, area you don't no, want to commit no, to. No. But just because we don't know kind of free thinking on this. What is most likely, let's put it that way, could have happened to some of these people? So in one of these shows I was doing, I was interviewed and uh, off camera, I was taken aside and I said, this person, and I won't identify him, said, hey, Dave, I want you to think about this. We think we're the biggest, we're the baddest, we're the most educated in the universe. And we carry our big guns and we walk through the woods and we're big and tough. But Dave, think about when you were a kid and you had an ant farm in your room Hmm. and you were looking at all the ants running around, making their channels and how easy it was to just squash them with your two fingers. But you liked looking at them and you were raising them to see what they could build. Now, Dave, think about you are the ant farm, Earth, and how big our universe is. To, to understand and believe that we are the biggest, baddest thing in the universe, and to think that there isn't something out there that's so far more intelligent than us that we could never begin to understand why they would be interested in us. To think about why they would need us, to think that they come here for reasons that are far beyond our understanding. I want you to think about that, Dave. And I've always thought about that. And I, when I go into the woods alone, I have a conversation with my friends wherever they are and say, hey, just give me a safe journey. I'm not here to bother you. I won't hurt you. And uh, I just want to have a peaceful day in the serenity of the woods. So, Dave, can I ask you one question about the, the categories you're talking about? Because we've talked about this on, on, the, on the big show. When, when you say there's been a weather change, when, when they put dogs out to find somebody, if there's been torrential rain or a big weather change, how much would that affect the dogs that that would be the reason they couldn't track somebody? So the, it, a torrential rainstorm like a monsoon, that's going to have some effect. But I've had uh, people tell me that trained dogs say, hey, a good dog can train in or can track in almost anything. And I've personally been involved with dogs tracking in rain, okay. snow. So I think there's probably a limit to every dog. And every dog is trained by a human. And how well that dog is trained is based on the human. So dogs are like people. You're going to run across some that are just absolutely worthless and some that are phenomenal. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But the weather itself would not be an indicator. Well, there's no way to track because now we've had weather. 
I would put the dog on the track no matter what the weather. Okay. But like I'm saying, weather does have an impact okay. on some dogs. Yeah. Dave, back to what you were talking about uh, when we, we talk about the universe. I mean, mathematically, you look at it and you say, well, something has to be out there, uh, even though we, we haven't found it yet. And then if you play the numbers game of, well, if there is something out there, 50-50, they're more intelligent than us or less. I'm talking about in our physical understanding of the universe as it is. Um, when you, you get to aliens and, and this kind of thing, I mean, it opens up a whole other category, uh, and your comparison to the ant farm was, was very well. Um, you know, we, we have some recent developments in that with the Tic Tac video coming out. Um, is it, is it disturbing to you a little bit that, that we see that footage and we really have no good explanation for what it is? I have a good story about that. I was doing a conference in Oregon and I was sat in a room before I was to go on with another guy. I didn't know who he was. His name was David Fraber. He was the commander of the Nimitz battle group he was the pilot wow. that saw that tic-tac and went on it. And we ended up sitting in the room for an hour. And he was interested in the H&K guns I carried when I was on the SWAT team. And I'm interested in his sighting of the tic-tac. And what Fraber said is that, Dave, that is nothing from our world. He goes, the thing moved at speed that was phenomenal. And he goes, and what you're not being told is that we were flying out there because it was a training mission. And myself and my other pilot that was with me in another plane were taken off the route of the training and told to go check out this thing flying just off the water. And he was, I think it was at 10,000 feet, and he went straight down on this thing at like a 90 degree angle almost. Wow. And he said, the thing moved at such a phenomenal speed, it was beyond almost comprehension. And seconds later, his communication system told him, hey, commander, you're not going to believe this. That thing you just lost just showed up 40 miles away at your training site. Now, how in the heck it would even know where their training site was at? He goes, Dave, how would it know? We weren't even talking about it on the air. And uh, Fraber said, the one of the last things I asked, I said, so what, what were your final thoughts? He goes, Dave, I want to fly that thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, we want to tell everybody again how to to get your new book, how to check out the other stuff. But we, we want to have you back sometime because this is such a broad topic. Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting. And there's just so many things going on we don't know. And you're the leading authority on it. It's very interesting to me. I know it is to Rick and a lot of our, uh, a lot of our listeners and viewers. So we want to have you back sometime. But... Let, let's catch everybody up to date, Rick, where they can get this at. All right, so tell me, Dave, we have canamissing.com. If I go there, can I find – now, I know your books and stuff. They're available, I assume, anywhere you can get books. But if I go to canamissing.com, is that where I need to go? Tell us how we get the new book or any of the books that maybe we wanted. Okay, so first of all, it's canam, like Canadian-American, yeah. canamissing.com. Okay. And don't go on to Amazon for any of my books. I've written 10 books about missing people. Okay. If you go on to, go on to Amazon, you're going to see that they're 100 bucks each. And those are resellers ripping you off. Okay. Books are $25 each on our website, canammissing.com. YouTube is also canammissing for the YouTube site. And uh, yeah, I'm on uh, 
Twitter as well at Can-Am Missing, David Politis, P-A-U-L-I-D-E-S at Can-Am Missing on Twitter. Well, I appreciate you taking time, you know, to, to be with us. And like Bubba said, I, I hope this isn't the last time. And, you know, maybe we can have you up on uh, on the actual radio show as well. You know, in the world we're living in now, there's so many different platforms, and, and we'd love to have an opportunity to interview you on, on any of those. So um, thanks a lot for what you're doing, and uh, and and thank you for you taking the time um, uh, to, to look into these cases. Yeah. I know that, Thanks for letting us know about it. Yeah, and I know at, at the end of the day, um, you know that we we wish that we had been able to find more of the people that but but um, but trying to come out come up with the answers. I hope one day we know the answer. Uh, I'm, we may never, but I, I hope one day that that we do. So uh, so thanks for being with us, and we'll have fun uh, talking about our conversation. And uh, then Bubba and I will be giving our theories on it. And I know you'll be thrilled by those. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> David Pilatus, thank you for being with us today, buddy. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, anytime. Take care. Right. Thank you, sir. You too. And, and, hey, thanks to all of you, too, for taking time to, to be with us. And uh, on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, if you want to find uh, everything about Rick and Bubba, just go to rickandbubba.com. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>